This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. This week, I'm joined by my colleagues Tanishka and Lasya. Uh, both of them have actually spent the week covering uh, cases of similar undertones. Both have covered cases of communal violence. Last year, you were at Jahangir Puri, right? Yes. And Tanishka, you went to look at the aftermath of the violence that had broken out last year in Gurgaon for the namaz. And this was called the namaz row at that point. Right. So uh, so actually, last year, you're uh, based out of Tamil Nadu. You've joined us here now in Delhi. Uh, we were just talking before this and you were saying this was almost your first time experiencing the kind of scene that you did at Jahangir Puri. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Like what was different for you? Why, why was it so uh, shocking for you? So such pro- uh, I- incidents of communal violence are not very common in Chennai. Mm-hmm. The last I would, re- I would remember is some protests against CAA, which was also not you know it it did not go for many days and i was i had not covered it at that point of time so this is actually my first time covering communal violence mm. so the i and in a, in a span of one week i covered two <coughs> issues one in jnu mm. and then second one in jahangirpuri so i'm curious because i feel i mean i'm also from kerala and when i had first come the it was also really shocking for me to see how divisive it was or how in the face, the, the, the differences are. Um, what about you, Tanishka? When you started, did you feel, was it something you felt was really shocking and you'd never experienced in life or were you more used to the kind of news and you knew this was more uh, a reality these days? Over the last few months and even years, it's all been sort of building up. So it's mm. never been um, a shock when something happens. You know, even in Delhi and Jahangirpuri, I think we were all, it was about, I don't want to say about time, but you know, the way that Especially in the last two weeks, um, the instances of communal violences were um, occurring across the country. Um, you know, you see the you see the signs before it comes. So I don't think any of this was a shock as such. Yeah. But uh, of course, actually being there and covering the issues, um, it is different than just reading about it. Of course. And uh, what about when you uh, covered the Gurgaon Namaz row? Do you think that you no? Know, and this is for both of you. I want. I'm kind of curious. You know. We've been hearing a lot of Muslim journalists getting targeted. We saw this happen at the Hindu Mahapanchayat as well. So when you all go on ground, and I've also been on ground with regards to our identity, do you think that it helps you earn the trust of, say, Hindu protesters? Uh, Does the conversation change because of identity? Have you noticed that before and during your coverage of uh, communal violence? Um, I think for me, 100%, um, not this particular time I went to report, but when I went last year to cover the Gurgaon Namaz issue, I think that's when I realized uh, the privilege that comes with a bindi, you know, or with your name. Mm. I remember I was covering this uh, one time I went in the aftermath of a Namaz protest and there were just a bunch of um, protesters who were right-wing local activists. So uh, I had finished speaking to them and the other journalist was speaking to them and I could hear the conversation he did tell his name and uh, he was a Muslim. And mm. after a point um, in the conversation, it started getting a bit heated. And um, they sort of started telling him that Aap log to ye karte ho. you guys do this, we don't do this. They made it very personal, you know. Mm. And I just went a little closer because I almost felt afraid for him because you don't know the way things can get heated up. So that's when it really hit me that it's so different. I didn't have to worry about things like this, you know, because when you go as a woman, you worry about other things. But Absolutely. this is uh, your identity ends up shielding you in a way. So, mm. yeah. 
what about you lasya even though it's been your first few experiences have you ever seen or experienced that i haven't experienced any of it but uh, my major issues on the field is not knowing hindi hmm. uh, i i'm i mean i'm not very fluent with the language though i can understand so i i had a tough time convincing people to talk to me like there are a few skills i mean i i'm good at convincing is what i feel hmm. but when i have to translate it to hindi by the time i translate it to hindi in my head and then talk to them they're gone or they are not convinced so that was a major problem i faced so do you felt like people trusted you less with their stories because you couldn't speak their language yes also that hmm. so they were not willing to talk to me because i was not speaking their language hmm. um so yeah right so i want to start by asking you lasya do you uh, you know when you went to jahangirpuri what did you see and this is a developing story in fact our colleague shivangi is there on ground today and she is covering the story of the demolitions that have just begun even though the supreme court has asked for a status quo it hasn't stopped until the written order arrives so you will be uh, uh, seeing shivangi's text piece by the time this podcast is out uh, but i want to start by asking you when you and shivangi went on the 17th right Yeah, um what were the scenes that you saw so when we went to the spot on the on sunday morning the first sight that shocked me was there were saffron flags inside the mosque and something that was in the face was a reporter of a mainstream uh, tv channel she was on the ground she was doing uh, you know she was giving a piece to camera and she did not want the camera person to focus on the mask or to you know cover the flags which were inside the mo- mosque so i found it you know little amusing i haven't you know even though such instances i haven't noticed in the south till now hmm. so the second thing was crpf personnel had were stationed in the in jahangirpuri by then there were more there are more than 60 crpf personnel and there were hundreds of police from all the districts of delhi Mm. and people uh, they were barric- uh, uh, the locality was bar- barricaded and people were not allowed there was tension in the air muslims were very uh, agitated that they feel that their arrests were made from the from the muslim families and not from the hindu families mm. even though they claim both of them are reasons for it even though but they say that it was the hindus that initiated the clash so let's talk about that i mean what exactly happened in jahangirpuri So on uh, on uh, Shobha uh, Shobha Yatra was held on th- Sunday. Mm-hmm. Police claim that it is a traditional route they take. Even Muslims said that they had this has happened many times. The Shobha Yatras and all these festivals keep happening. So on the on Sunday morning there was a procession at nine o'clock, and there was an another one at three o'clock, and there was an another uh, bike rally at three o'clock, and there was an another one at four thirty or so. So the locals are saying that the procession was uh, aggressive from the start. there were weapons although now the you know like although they argue that it is that part of the tradition but i don't understand how i haven't so seen such swords. things also yeah there were swords ba- baseball bats and guns also we have the video evidences of all of it so and uh, there were, it was it was a very aggressive pro- procession from the start what changed in the 430 procession was so it reached the jama masjid the mosque at 6 o'clock mm-hmm. and then people two hindu men tried to plant saffron flags inside near the entrance of the gate we saw that no they were the but more than 10 people hindus included said that it was the case hmm. and they it's but the police uh, the commissioner said it was not the case hmm. so after this there was there were verbal exchanges between both the groups hmm. and um, this is and there was stone pelting also police tried to 
you know police tried to calm the situation but they did not it did not it did not happen so hmm. is there any idea or is it is has it now become that situation where it is almost uh, impossible to trace what started the violence like what exactly triggered was it stone pelting from within the mosque was it the procession itself and the violent calls like we've seen some uh, instances of communal violence where there was really triggering music uh, that sort of instigated the violence as well so is there something here that where we're able to pinpoint okay this is the incident that sort of initiated this uh, as of now no there's so many multiple accounts from many sources the police version is different from what the hindus are saying mm. and what the locals you know the neutral uh, voices are also saying mm. but as much as i could understand it started the 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 whole idea of the procession was violent from the start mm. and uh, stone pelting did happen from both the sides the muslim i mm. muslims i spoke to said they started it mm. and we had to defend ourselves we were in the mosque to pray why do you think we would have stones inside the mosque we did not have in any of it so we had to defend so whatever stones fell on us we threw it back on them so to in order to defend so uh, there are also uh, you know we haven't yet verified the independent sources like the cctv footage also which is currently with the police so we have to wait for the investigation to be completed so i'm curious when you say the the idea of the protest was violent from the start you mean the carrying of these uh, swords and the guns that were used right and the slogans that says if you are in hindustan you have to say jai shri ram you have to chant jai shri ram it's it's interesting and funny that they say that because i remember in during the farmers protest when there were visuals of the farmers uh, defending themselves with their swords and their kripan which they actually can legally carry with them there was a lot there was this entire online hindu brigade which came up and hindutva brigade which came up and then said that you know this is so violent and how can you have weapons like this and there was one particular instance where the uh, police had sort of there was a clash between the farmers and the police at singu border and there was a clear visual of this guy taking out his sword and the hindutva brigade online had just gone completely crazy saying this is this is so violent how can you carry a weapon and it's interesting that in a situation like this they're justifying their own weapons as something that you just do uh, during a but festival but another point that has no justification is hmm. the procession was not allowed there was no permission granted hmm. to carry out the procession hmm. but why didn't the police who were part of the crowd who were there in the procession did not foresee it so this is also interesting right because i remember even the hindu mahapanchayat had not gotten permission uh, to hold that uh, event at the burari ground but they managed to and then not really no action was really taken or i think a civil case was filed on them which doesn't amount to anything so we are also seeing uh, these instances of violence happening so much in the last two weeks we were discussing it in the meeting as well yesterday uh, there's been an increase because uh, festivals are happening at the same time and the polarization seems to have increased like ramzan has fallen at a time when uh, what ram navmi is happening and a lot of other things are happening so this this seems to be a lot of tension in the air uh, in general in the country right now which is kind of sad because I mean I remember my parents and grandparents always talking about like a space where everything could happen together right um so I want to talk you went to go back to look at a story that had actually happened last uh, October uh can you tell us what it was and why you chose to go back to it now so October to December of last year mm-hmm. uh, there were these constant uh, agitations in different sectors of Gurgaon against open namaz being 
conducted on spots that were designated by the administration a few years ago. So I think we all saw that in the news. I mean, I covered it multiple times and it made headlines for a lot of time. And it was a very visual agitation, you know. It also made for um, good photos or good press in the way that uh, you want to know what's happening. It, mm. The way that they would come with the loudspeakers and their slogans. And at the same time, um, at some places, namaz was still happening. So it was, uh, the contrast was very hard to look away from. So uh, this just stopped making news over the last few months after the mm. chief minister said that open um, namaz will not be tolerated in public places. So after that, um, the Hindutva sort of got what they wanted. The Hindutvas are the local leaders who were protesting against it. And um, so for three, four months, there was like absolutely no update. And I was in touch with my sources, but um, no one was really speaking about what was happening. So I really wanted to revisit because... Um, we may have moved on from um, that to new issues which are equally important, but uh, it doesn't change uh, what was happening before because the fight um, or the resistance was there for a reason. So I really wanted to see what is happening now, you know, mm. if the spots have uh, in October 2021, um, the spots to pray were uh, in open places were 37. Mm. By the time all this ended, uh, December and beginning of Jan, this had reduced to six. So that's a really, that's a large, uh, yeah. that's, you know, quite a, it's, you can see it in the numbers. Yeah. And there are a lot of Muslims there, around 5 lakh Muslims. So where are they going to pray? And how has this really uh, changed their lives in a way, you know? Because yeah. once, uh, even the media, the way that we play a role in bringing things to light, it also sort of, um, I feel like we also, in a way, end up uh, encouraging some of these things. Because mm -hmm. the more it comes in the news, the more uh, whatever you're thinking is sort of, you, it, it, yeah, exactly. And more people yeah. get encouraged, you know, I've been thinking over the past few weeks that what is the best way for us to go forward in such issues, even in the mm. last two weeks, all the issues that are happening, mm. how do we cover it in a way that does not encourage others that, hey, mm. if this is happening in Delhi, this can happen in Bombay too, you know, so I want to see what are the after effects, um, where are people praying and what, um, how have their lives changed, you know, uh, just if like, for a Muslim person and a Hindu person who are neighbors and earlier didn't really have clashes after the clashes get open um sorry after the clashes begin and uh, things get a little messy how are they moving forward so yeah. i have a question what are the compromises made by muslims because there are no there are less designated spaces yeah. for open namaz um so i think there are a number of them uh, someone i spoke to said that he has stopped uh, going for nama juma namaz on the friday on Fridays and he just uh, skips work every third Friday uh, to pray at home instead because there are no closed mosques or uh, open spaces near his office. The closest mosque is an hour away. And mm -hmm. so he would do it every uh, third Friday because uh, I think that is a limit uh, in the religion uh, mm -hmm. text that says that you cannot this, keep away. Yeah, for so, yeah. Long. Yeah. so that is one. Um, a lot of them spoke about wanting to leave the city mm -hmm. or uh, people were telling me about people they know who have left the city. Um, identity is another thing because sort of uh, you take in that, you know, you'll, you'll keep a low persona and you'll uh, just not let your identity be very obvious and in the face, hmm. which is something I noticed even back then when the protests were happening, which is just, I mean, it's ridiculous to think because your identity plays such a big role, yeah. right, in yeah. who you are as a person or how you view the world and to have to shield it 
why should you have to justify or not justify who you are mm-hmm. that's another thing and the most obvious uh, impact was the decrease in spaces because now in the existing mosques um it's held juma uh, namaz is held a lot more times than it used to you know mm-hmm. if it used to happen two three times a day now it happens seven eight times a day in the same place to accommodate for the number of people mm-hmm. um so there are a lot of problems that are very um in the face and yeah. other problems like identity which are not in the face but once you explore it it sort of comes front so mm-hmm. that was something i tried to focus on uh so lastly do we have any idea of how many people have been arrested so far from jahangirpuri so 21 people were arrested and two minors were apprehended on various charges including uh, for possessing arms and for writing well, 14 of them were produced before the rohini court of them 16 of muslim of the 23 16 are muslims uh so so far do we have any idea of uh, if the delhi police has zeroed in on any prime accused in this particular case yes according to the fir it says there is a resident called ansar went there with four five men and started the whole controversy he was he is termed as a main conspirator in the fir so uh, ansar's nephew is also arrested in the case but besides that there are families where you know three three or four people from the same family are detained so mm. we spoke to one of the cases also where uh, you know i aisha one of the residents she says that her three brothers in law were arrested she says that they were at home they had gone to the mosque to read the namaz and they have come back home and they are not related to the case and mm. she says the police should you know so check the cctv ca- ca- evidence which will have that they were here present in the lane but we don't know if the cctv is functional too so and all the 23 are under the same fir is it yes okay so we also saw news that the hindutva groups had started protesting against the delhi police saying that they would sort of openly battle uh, delhi police if members from their community and their groups were arrested so what had happened what, what triggered this call for violence so there was violence between both the groups on sun- sunday uh, muslims were out uh, muslim women whose family members were arrested mm-hmm. because majority of the arrested people belong to the muslim community so they were sitting outside the jahangir police demanding justice and then immediately after that the members of the hindutva hindu group outfits also reached the police station and they were also protesting why so they they want to also be in the news because it was most of it was the muslim women who were in the news he, they were outside the police station they were uh, you know protesting in the lanes uh, demanding justice from the De- delhi police st- stating that the delhi police is one sided in the case have not made arrest from the hindu community but was it also because there were members from yes. the vhp and bajrangdal who were arrested by the delhi police yes so the delhi police also arrested the organizers of vhp and bajrangdal because the uh, procession was not permitted there was no permission given to these organizers to hold the procession so in this case uh, they were arrested so following that there was a protest by the hindu outfits also from the members who were arrested did any of them have links to any political parties were any political parties making speeches for or against the people yes so bjp leaders are making uh, statements against muslims mm-hmm. so one of the speak one of the uh, people we spoke to the counselor the local uh, counselor she was telling us that there are bangladeshi people living in the area they are the reason for all the crimes they do they are into chain snatching she was giving us all the uh, statements but she had no proof when i said when i asked her if there are uh, if there is a data about the number of bangladeshi people living in the locality she had nothing to uh, solidify her 
statement. So there were also other BJP leaders who were making statements stating that uh, it was, you know, our people, Hindu people do not do this. Stone pelting and all, it was, it is a Rohingya Muslims who do that. So this Rohingya Muslim narrative really started with the political parties making it yes. about Bangladesh. Yes. And the when media you were on giving... ground on the 17th, was there any talk about Bangladeshis, Rohingya Muslims yes, from either it side? Started. It started on Sunday mm. uh, from the morning itself. So there mm. when it was not just the BJP, it was also the media who was giving, you know, space to that and uh, without any proof to do that. I mean so. on ground, like when you were talking to people who had been part of the clashes or who'd witnessed the clashes, mm -hmm. did you hear anything from them uh, which t they themselves talking about Rohingya Muslims without being asked about it? Yes, they were talking about it without being asked because they were, the media was, you know, had diverted the story and they were talking about the Rohingya or the Bangladeshi hmm. claim. So the people whom we were speaking to, they had their other cards in their hands and they were showing it to us. Hmm. So this is the claim. And so see, we do have other cards. We do vote. And how can we be Bangladeshi? Hmm. We spoke to more than 12 of them and none of them, you know, all of them had valid identity uh, hmm. cards with them. Hmm. Were there people on ground from uh, who sort of pointed at people and said they are Bangladeshis, they are Rohingyas? Did it also come from the locals, this claim? So from the locals, they say uh, they are like they are, they, they, they might be Bangladeshi uh, migrants in the locality, but it's not, they are not part of it. One or two people told that there are also Bangladeshi people here, but not a great number of them. But were you able to meet anyone from no, we could not. Bangladesh or a Rohingya community? No, we could not meet any of them. And as far uh, as I know, I don't think as that... Far, yes, I, I think I it's think very the Rohingyas less. are settled uh, towards hmm. Okla area, if I'm right. Yeah, they did not mention uh, actually about the Rohingyas. So hmm. actually, it's it's very confusing. It It's not very easy to find out also. These, these people have been living there for more than 30, 40 years. Who, you mean the Muslims in Jahangirpuri? Yes, Muslims hmm. in Jahangirpuri. They have been, they have migrated from West Bengal. Hmm. Residents we spoke to, they have said that they have migrated at least three generations ago from West Bengal. Hmm. So they are all Bengal, Bengalis. And uh, the Bangladeshi angle, we are not quite sure. One or two people, Muslims, they have told that there could be some of the Bangladeshis, but we have no idea where they are. They, we, we don't know their identity too because they would have also migrated many years ago. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think, um, if you're a Rohingya at least, I as far as I know, you never get like an, it's very difficult to get an Aadhaar card. Yeah. Because like the refugee status card takes very long and you don't really get citizenship as such here unless like it's a long procedure. Yeah. So I, like whenever we've reported on Rohingyas, I've not met any Rohingyas who've had uh, an Aadhaar card unless they've lived here for that long or had connections within the UN. Yeah to help them with that procedure. I think this is just a very convenient line that people take. Like even when oh, I was yeah, in absolutely. Gurgaon, yeah. nothing related, but just Bangladeshi they are from there, you know. So yeah. this whole paranoid uh, behavior sort of gets enhanced every time any sort of othering happens, I yeah. feel, like yeah. across issues and communities. Yeah, and I want to go to your Gurgaon story now and really, uh, you know, if you can tell us like what exactly uh, is happening now in terms of like, it's not, there isn't a visit, like you were saying, there isn't like visible violence, there isn't visible clashes uh, or visible disagreement in, in, in explicit loud form. But 
the your story really points to this sort of quiet deeper stress that seems to evade the community there yeah. so what is it that you uh, experienced so i wanted to see whether the fight was still on mm-hmm. um, besides the other things that i spoke about mm-hmm. but i think um, there is not a lot of resistance anymore uh, especially after the chief minister said that this will not happen mm-hmm. uh, the muslim communities including the groups that were representing uh, more of the muslims they aren't really fighting for this anymore uh, one of the reasons is because the chief minister said so and so and the other reason they said is because if we even speak about this if we give a letter to you know the administration or the police about this hmm. the right wing hooligans are just going to use this as fodder you know they're going to restart this and just the stress of i remember one of the people i spoke to said that um, you know when you pray you should you should not really be watching over your shoulder and that is what it ended up becoming so even those 3 months where you could still pray at some of the spots that you can't anymore there was this constant uh, fear and anxiety you know which uh, at least for prayer it's the last place that it should be there you should be able to be at peace and uh, just offer prayers like you want to you should not really be having to look over your shoulder yeah. especially because of how um, like we just we were discussing this uh, violence uh, it's not really physical in a lot of uh, circumstances but um, the way that things escalated it was very close to becoming uh, physical violence and mm. also just the overall um, anxiety of someone playing uh, you know a hindu devotional song while you are offering prayers next to them and sort of asking you to prove your identity i mean the number of times that when i've been there and people have asked me as a journalist you check their id cards you know they are not from here who are they i saw a news article 2 weeks ago some terrorists was caught how do you know they are also not terrorists some of it is just really bizarre but it just i think it just seeps inside you so right now the fight was there wasn't much of a fight to be honest um yeah and have you ever uh, you know i also was reading in your report that this isn't the first time that there's been a uh, communal tension yeah. in gurgaon right like before so the namaz row happened in october 2021 yeah. before that have there been instances of communal yeah, tension yeah 2018 uh, is when it first started before hmm. that there were around 150 spots so after the group started agitating the administration uh, had designated spots which were hmm. 37 so and it is members of the same groups who are uh, continuing the agitation plus some new people as well and um, like i said before I really wanted to follow up and when I decided to I was looking up I couldn't really find any news article you know no mainstream organization no independent organization and I think this is one thing um, I think I've like you Nidhi have also done a lot of follow ups on stories hmm. and I respect that and I want to do more of that because we just forget about a news incident once it's gone yeah but it's so important to go back and see what are the effects of it you know and like hmm. we were discussing what are the effects of the media covering something yeah. after it's not in the limelight anymore uh, mm. what are the effects like what is the impact so yeah. that's something uh, like what do you think why do you go back to stories and follow I mean, up i feel like there's always value in it because i mean the media itself is very interested in this sort of extraordinary violence that takes place because it sells it's something that like people want to watch and people want to talk about and people want to feel shocked but i i generally feel like there isn't much space in the media for like deep rooted sadness or 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 something that's happening inside homes within people which is also very real and it's a problem that we in the media have really really uh, got to learn i feel because there isn't that space 
especially with stories related to communal violence with related to gender which doesn't end with that act of violence itself it always goes much more beyond that and maybe a, that space academics has made uh, that space for where you know you you have the time to do that research and it isn't the thing is it it's not it shouldn't be isolated only to academics i feel because we have the privilege to really go back and look at these stories it just doesn't seem to have enough news value i guess and and i'm i i've also like had this discussion with different journalists and a lot of times the argument is that but you know people are not interested in I this i was going yeah. to ask that do you think people are interested to know what has happened to a particular case i mean even if they're not i do think the media has the power to shape people's interest yeah. right like the fact that republic sells is because they've told you that this is what's entertaining the fact that certain media houses sell is because they've shaped the news to be that it never was that so if they can do that i truly feel like it's possible if you make that space that and people also, learn to prioritize yeah, i also news. see that there are you know a lot of media organizations are doing follow ups you know in the past 3 yeah. 4 years at least mm. the trend has changed Hmm. I think there should be more of it. Yeah, because this whole yeah. covering something as an incident as not and not as an issue. Yeah, a lot of it is our fault also because, of course, news is dictated yeah. by who wants to see what. But um, I do think like it should change. We should go back to our stories to see what yeah. is happening after. I mean, just all of the stories we've done in the past year and a half, year and two years. If we would just go back to each one of them, um, I don't know what we'd find. You know, I'm sure we'd find bigger stories, more. Um, structural stories that we need to sort of document like yeah. nidhi we were discussing yesterday about how so much of journalism should be documenting also you know yeah. which we in a way do drift away from yeah and i think the uh, idea of a follow up gets a little lost when it just becomes legal follow up which is what most follow ups yeah, end up becoming true. like you follow a court case like with what's happening in lakhimpur now hmm. you're just following the case of whether ashish mishra is going to get bail or not going to get bail or not yeah. where is the hearing but like i feel like we don't follow up with people about life after the event uh which is again i want to talk a little bit about the media with both of you with regards to jahangirpuri where the rohingya narrative came about and in uh, gurgaon where you actually met some of the men who were part of this entire uh, hindutva brigade that began this incident right i want to understand uh, and you raised this question earlier tanishka and it's something that i've also felt a lot of times while reporting that what am i actually contributing uh, when i'm doing this report cuz like last week i did this report on preet singh one of the organizers of the hindu mahapanchayat and i could tell that when i met him he uh, he really enjoyed it He really enjoyed the fact that uh, he was giving, he was being given attention. He enjoyed that he was being made to feel important. Um, and while I was writing the report, I just kept thinking, "My God, Preet Singh is going to read this and feel really happy about himself." Uh, so, have you all ever faced that question, and how have you navigated it? A hundred percent. That is something that I also think about a lot, especially when I was covering the Gurgaon agitation back in uh, December. Mm. Um, I was doing a profile of the three men who were sort of uh, leading the agitation, and um, I remember talking to a fellow journalist, and he asked me why I want to do such a story. He's like, "Why are you giving him fodder? This is what he wants." Mm. And I realized that is true. You know, this is what he craves because a lot of this is done for the media attention, and in our effort to document things or to bring out the reality. we end up giving them what they want which mm. is attention but at the same time how do you really not speak about what is happening so uh, this is something that i think that we need to speak about more in newsrooms and um i don't know if there is a balance that we can find because uh, we do also have to 
write about these things you know we can't not do that yeah but a lot of them do these things because of the media so this one guy dinesh bharti everything he does is for the media even last week you know he been like sending messages and giving bites to local um, news organizations about how he's going to come back and start agitating in the six spots where namaz is happening mm. and you know he's doing this because he wants the attention you know so do you report on this or do you not report on this do you speak to him or not so in this follow up i was considering speaking to him um and a couple of others who were from the other side but at the same time i thought what if i sort of awaken their uh, you know desires to agitate more or to sort of be in the media limelight again which i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i have restarted something like this you know so i just took the messages he had sent me and the interviews he'd given someone else as part of my story and i didn't personally speak to him hmm This is something that, and this is yeah. the same person in your profile you wrote that he was also sharing stories which weren't speaking good things about him. For him, it, the point was to he thought they were good things. He thought mm. that it's great that uh, he has scared Muslims and he's gone to jail several times. I mean, he uses that as a badge of honor, you know. And he says that I've gone to jail three times for this, and I will go like ten more times. You know, no one can stop me. And like, it's just it's really bizarre. Um, and I mean, like in. journalism school i don't think we've spoken really about something like this how do you navigate this space um because i think over the past few years it is really changing right the trend of communal violence yeah. communal instances in a undeclared emergency of sort or whatever you want to call it you know you can't really classify this hmm. but instances are happening and as journalists we are going to report on it but how do you do this without really um encouraging others you know hmm. what do you think I mean I feel like it's tricky because it's um it's a situation where you have to take a call which is where objectivity goes out of the window right yeah. because it's not merely about documenting anymore you really have to think about what is it that I'm doing to the story and if and if the journalist th- themselves ends up creating another story yeah. it's it's a too much of a it's too much to take on your conscience but it it does happen and i feel like that's why i wanted to speak about the rohingya narrative in the same light because uh this is something this is a trend we've noticed like even during farmers protest the khalistani narrative would be introduced the same happened in lakhimpur this has happened before with the rohingya narrative in jammu where like there was a lot of communal tension and they just blamed it on rohingyas uh and we I saw that happen in the meeting yesterday when we were sitting for our edit meet and we were trying to figure out what stories to do because Rohingya had been repeated so many times and the point was it was repeated by political leaders who we are supposed to take seriously whose words we are supposed to take note of we end up having to like you know cover that so I'm trying to understand you know when you went to Jahangir Puri what was the effect of that uh, repetition like did you ever ask yourself you know is this even an issue here Exactly, because we know for sure that they have no proof. Hmm. They are that their statements like they completely, you know, it's made out of impunity. They don't have any proof to corroborate that. Hmm. Yet we have to, you know, write their statements. Hmm. So that is something that I didn't really like. But what I could do was I could also add the fact that I spoke to a lot of people and they have their identity cards in place. Even if there are Bangladeshis, which we don't know at the, at this point of time. and um, but how does it affect it like how how is that related to the violence is what we need to understand here hmm. so uh, there were many claims and the and we are in a position to include that part which is really disturbing but as a journalist we if we get the other side of the story also right i think it makes 
it adds yeah. to the gist. Yeah, that's. I mean, I guess one way to counter that narrative is to really fact check. But yes. you know, if there are Rohingyas there, what kind of crimes have been they yeah. been uh, arrested for previously or charged with? But sometimes it also feels like you know that's exactly the point to get journalists or reporters to pour their energy into something that yeah just never happened exactly yeah. <laughs> so that you just stop covering what actually yeah. happened and even with the Gurgaon case uh, when I was reading the profiles of the three men uh, it really did remind me of Preet Singh and like you know how we covered because it's not that Preet Singh or these men have a massive following. Hmm. And I think it also comes from us interpreting uh, the Hindutva voice as one voice, right? Like it's not always the RSS or bigger organizations right. like Bajrang Dal behind them. But what do you think uh, these men sort of get that sense of impunity from? Like where, and is there, you know, is it the desire, like you said, is more for attention? Uh, but how much are they willing to give for this attention? And are they getting support from these organizations? Uh, willing to give a lot, <laughs> mm. you know? And it's, I mean, attention is a huge part of it, but it's also the thing that they are taking forward what they are here for, you know? Like they are on earth to sort of uh, take forward the legacy of Hindutva and they think this is how it's supposed to go, you know? And they have a lot of support. I mean, even if uh, it's not to the levels of like uh, a Bajrang Dal or a VHP, I mean, I remember when I started covering this, um, I the first time I went on ground and I put out a video on Twitter about mm. uh, of these agitation. And this was really when it was just starting to come to light. So people were learning about this through these, uh, you know, me and some other journalists on ground, what we were putting out on Twitter. And uh, it got a lot of traction, but a lot of it was... Um, Hindus and people from other communities sort of encouraging this, you know, that this is great, carry on, agitate, um, stop from namaz from happening. So it finds its way into um, like maybe your most... Changing yeah, like or maybe this is like a thought that people wouldn't actively speak about. Um, but once you see that this is being taken on the ground, it sort of reinforces those thoughts. So, mm. um, and even if it, they may not be connected directly to a Bajrangal, I think they do get support from these larger Hindutva organizations as well. I think without that, it would not really be possible for them to yeah. continue. And like you rightly said, we're in a way, it we're being sort of tricked, you know, <laughs> into covering things yeah. that we want to cover, but at the same time, what do we sacrifice in that coverage? And yeah. like, I mean, a lot of times I also wonder, like, if it's the silence of the larger organizations that gives them that impunity. Like, yeah. They may not be in agreement. Like, with uh, Hindu Mahapanchayati, when I'd called Ramada for a statement from RSS, whether, hmm. you know, they supported it or not, he refused to comment. Like, they didn't want to be associated with it. But they also didn't want to disengage from yeah. it. They also didn't want to say that, no, we have nothing to do with it. They right? want to use the publicity at the same time, you know. Like yeah. And it was interesting because BJP actually played it down. Like when I spoke to Nalin Kohli on, on the phone, he said, this is just a state issue. Hmm. Like it's not really a big issue. So they want to make it seem like it's something minor. RSS yeah. doesn't want to comment on it, which it's like it's just the environment for impunity is just made there. Yeah. And a lot of these small time people can really thrive. And I mean, and we've seen the effect of it in Gurgaon, in Burari I think grounds. it's all about politics at the end of the day, because, you know, the stand taken by BJP in, mm. in the center and Tamil Nadu BJP are mm. different sometimes. Tamil Nadu BJP is for need. So, mm. But in the center, it's a different issue. So yeah. it's yeah, all it's about the politics. Same in Kerala yeah, also yeah. with regards to beef and exactly. things like that. But seeing this like in small pockets, uh, you know, we cover one incident and like I've covered something, you've covered something, you, Nadeev, covered yeah. something. 
but this as a trend it could mean so much for you know national politics and where our yeah. country is heading because if they um stay away from an issue but don't disengage with it and mm. there are just several pockets of these instances that start coming up um i don't know what's going to really happen you know yeah yeah absolutely and um With that, listeners, uh, please go read Tanishka's story as well as Lasya's story. They're both up on our website, um, and you might also find the link under this particular podcast. And listeners, if you're listening to our podcast, please know that we have a lot of other content on our website with videos, uh, text pieces, interviews. We will be bringing you more updates about what's developing in Jahangirpuri. Our colleagues are out there right now, uh, so do go check it out. Before I let Tanishka and Lasya go, I want to ask you both for your recommendations. this week i would like to recommend a short story book called the thing around your neck it is a short story compilation by chimamanda ngozi adichie the best part of the book is that it's it's a real representation of the world we live in adichie puts her experiences in her story to achieve this undeniable sense of realism mm-hmm. so the book has 12 short stories and it revolves around the life of nigerian people i very much enjoy reading it mm-hmm. and tanishka Uh, I'd like to recommend this article on Scroll called "Making Headlines: A New Site in JNK is Putting Out Daily Bulletins in Lesser-Known Languages." Hmm. Um, it's I just found this last night and found it very interesting because again it was a break from what we've been seeing in the news the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, it's about how after the government introduced the new language policy, smaller languages they're fearing being stamped out. So um how in one particular uh, the Chennai Times they are including a language uh, and repeating the same headlines in different languages just so that you know you don't lose out on a language which i found very interesting so it's a fun article you might enjoy it since you spend yeah? some time there <laughs> okay i will take a look at it Uh so I'd like to recommend Iram Siddiqui's reporting from Kargon. I think it's been very impactful. Um in fact I think it's reporting like this that sometimes gives you hope because you keep reporting and I've often wondered like what is the point but uh some of her reporting actually uh ended up in a certain kind of impact where she had uh, reported on this house being demolished which was constructed by the government itself and now they're reconstructing the house she'd also reported on a mother who went out looking for her son uh and couldn't find them and because of her reporting I think the administration also paid more attention and helped to find the body of the son and he was by then he'd been dead so i really think that uh, iram siddiqui has been doing a fantastic job uh, and her reports are worth looking at if you're listening to this podcast on spotify apple stitcher or any other podcast platform do know that news laundry also has its own podcast platform on our website so do check it out uh that's it listeners next week we will have a uh, new host and new reporters uh on this podcast with that this podcast is adjourned all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel 